They guard the tree because they have hope, faith and fading hope that one day it will flower, that a king will come and the city will be as it once was before it fell into decay. The old wisdom that was born out of the West was forsaken. Kings made tombs more splendid than the houses of the living and counted the names of their descent dearer than the names of their sons. Childless lords sat in aged halls, musing on heraldry, or in high cold towers, asking questions of the stars. And so the people of Gondor fell into ruin. The line of kings failed, the white tree withered, and the rule of Gondor was given over to lesser men. Osgiliath has been reclaimed for Gondor. For Gondor. For Gondor. For Gondor. Hey guys, welcome back to Keep on Tolkien. This is Joel N. This is Danny J. And we're back for part three of our three-part series on the kingdoms of the Dunedain. Yeah, yeah. And today, as you may have guessed, we're going to be talking about Gondor. Gondor. So yeah, uh, let's talk about what we learned in the last episode. How yeah, before that? we get too deep into Gondor. So yeah, part two of uh, Kingdoms of the Dunedain was yeah. uh, Arnor. So the things we covered was uh, the immigration of Numenorians to Middle-earth, the establishment of the two different kingdoms, Gondor and Arnor, the last alliance. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. The sundering of the kingdoms, the north and the south, the decline of Arnor, the sundering of the northern kingdoms. Remember when it split up into three different kingdoms? Right, right. Uh, the rise and fall of Angmar, which was really the, the downfall of Arnor, really. The ultimate downfall, yeah. Yeah, and then we covered the Battle of Fornost, which was awesome. And the fall, the inevitable fall of the northern kingdom. Came to an end. Yeah, so that was, that was a bit of what we learned about Arnor last episode. Um, now, unlike Arnor, Gondor doesn't officially end. It's one of those kingdoms of the of the uh, of the Adain that actually lasts from its founding through the end of Tolkien's known writing. Right. Yeah, there isn't any official fall for it, so that's already one distinct. For all we know, difference. it's still there. It could very well <laughs> still be there to this day. I imagine that would be kind of funny. Like, what would like the future of Middle Earth be? Like, there's Gondor, but there's, like, flying cars and shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, C.S. Lewis, uh, one of his stories was about a character who is in the, you know, like, our modern world. Right, right. And apparently came from Middle-earth. He refers oh, to where, really? he, he refers to Westerness, where he came from, from oh, Numenor. Oh, nice. He's a Numenorean. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, so, yeah, they had a lot of fun little crossovers in their works. Fun stuff. But anyway, Gondor. Uh, so like Arnor in the north, it was one of the kingdoms of the Dúnedain that the Dúnedain men founded after the f downfall of Númenor. Now, sometimes it's referred to as the southern Númenorean realm in exile. It was founded in the year 3320 in the Second Age by Anarion, the youngest son of Elendil. As you'll remember from last episode, uh, Isildur, the older son, he was the one that founded the northern kingdom of Arnor. And after the fall of Arnor, Gondor served as the last stronghold of men of the West. It was uh, around 3,362 years. That's about how long it lasted. At least that's about as far as I could find, anyway. Right, that's the recorded amount of history. Right, because like yeah. we said, it didn't officially end. It just went right. to the end of Tolkien's Yeah, Tolkien ended before literature. it did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> when you get into the Fourth Age, there's some Fourth Age stuff that I was able to, to get out, but as you get into the Fourth Age... Uh, some of the stories become less canon, so it's kind of hard to nail down specific yeah. dates. Yeah. So let's get into some names of Gondor. Yeah. So Gondor is Sindarin for the land of stone. Andonare is Quenya for, you guessed it, the land of stone. The Staining Land, sometimes called Stoning Land, is Rohiric, and that means also land of stone. A lot of stone. It's also sometimes called Turmin Hayaralandie. Sometimes it's shortened to just Hyalandier, and that's Quenya for Realm of Southern Harborage. And then in the common tongue, sometimes it's just referred to as the Southern Kingdom or the Southern Realm in Exile. So before 
the downfall of Numenor and the founding of these northern and southern kingdoms, Gondor was already home to many Numenorian colonists. Because, like we had mentioned previously in the Numenor episode, they were all over the place. Yeah, so I mean, starting with uh, like uh, you know Tar, Lendil, and all those guys, they all started coming to Middle Earth and uh, founding little kingdoms, little. I imagine, you know, fishing and trading and all that kind of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they were already here. So Yeah, and one of the reasons why Gondor was already, well, I shouldn't say because it wasn't Gondor yet, yeah, but that what region. would become Gondor. What would yeah. become Gondor, why it was already so populated is because it happened to be a much more fertile region than, say, Arnor to the north. So a lot of folks were already living there. It already had a well-established port city of Pelagir. Pelagir? Pelagir. 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 Yeah, but that's yeah. There's a very old port city on the uh, like the mouth of Anduin, mm-hmm. and uh, the Dunedain. When they did arrive, they would either mix blood with those indigenous men if those men were friendly with them, or if they weren't, if they were hostile to these uh, Dunedain that came over, then the Dunedain would just chase them out, slay them all. Yeah, disperse them. And those that were chased out, the uh, the unfriendly men, they were chased over to Ross Morthil, uh, Dunland. And the Drudan Forest. Yeah, the Dunlandings are the ones from uh, the <laughs> Saruman, right? They drove your people into the hills to scratch a living off of rocks. Mar- Murderers! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, those, those, are, those are some of the people that, yeah, that Sauron <laughs> was trying to persuade to. Now, when they did arrive, the faithful of the Numenorians, sometimes called the Elendili, uh, they were given a really warm reception especially by the colonists north of Anduin. They accepted Inarian and Isildur's claim to kingship and their father Elendil's claim to high king of both regions. They were totally okay with it. Mm-hmm. And that's something, uh, so remember we talked about in the last, uh, that was episode one of Kingdoms of the Dunedain, that split between the faithful and the kingsmen. Right. And you had both in Middle-earth, which we'll get to later. Right. But... um. The um, Elendili were they're the ones that founded Gondor, and the people that were living in what would be Gondor were friendly to the Elendili. Right, right. Now, however, south of the River Anduin, the uh, newly exiled Numenorians they weren't recognized as royalty. The people south of Anduin they didn't recognize Elendil's claim as high king or either of his sons, and uh, that's due to this split that we just mentioned. Uh, the southern kingdoms, or I'm sorry, the southern colonies of Gondor, they were mostly populated by those kingsmen that remained enemies of the faithful and turned into be enemies of Gondor. Mm-hmm. And the big one of those is Umbar, mostly. Yeah, and, they settled in Umbar. And Umbar and um, Gondor clash throughout the ages. Yeah, as as you'll hear. So we're going to jump into a little little geography of Gondor. Little geography. Now keep in mind that uh, Gondor changes size significantly over time. Right, so most of the things we're about to talk about are the Gondor that we meet at the time of the War of the Ring, correct? Yeah, sort of the generally accepted size of Gondor, which is much smaller than when Gondor was at its peak, because Gondor was not at its peak for very long. Uh, So in general, Gondor was located in the western region of the continent of Middle-earth. The main part of the territory lay on the northern shores of the Bay of Belafast and around the White Mountains. And again, we'll also throw up some maps for reference right? Yeah. for anyone listening that might want to look this up. Otherwise, you can just go look up a map of Middle-earth. Um, so the borders, the northern border was uh, Rohan, the western border was Dunlin, the eastern border was Mordor, and the southern border was Harad. Uh, the total area of Gondor, as represented by Karenwin Fonstad... Who's a god. Who is a god. I don't know how many times we name drop her, but... We Almost every episode. <laughs> we couldn't name drop her enough. She did such an amazing job on her atlas. Um, but yeah. As we were actually talking about earlier, like if this were a class that you guys were taking from us, that would be a textbook that would make you buy. That'd be required. Reading. It'd be required. Absolutely. Reading. So she estimated the size, the total area of Gondor to be around 716,426 square miles. Yeah. Uh, for folks listening across the pond, that's about... 1,855,530 square kilometers. Oh, that's right. We totally have people listening that aren't American. Yeah, didn't, even, didn't even think about that. Hello, rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll give, throw out some, we're going to start throwing out metric numbers. We don't do that often, do we? I mean, I wish we used metric anyway. But yeah, it makes more sense, guys. 
so the hometowns that were established when Gondor was established, um, Isildur and Narian were in Minas Ithil and Minas Arnor, respectively. And the capital city of Osgiliath was situated right between the two, on the river, the mm-hmm. river Anduin. Uh, Osgiliath was the original capital of Gondor, which was later moved, but we will get into that. Now, when it was later moved, it was moved to Minas Tirith, and that capital, that city, was located on the eastern end of the White Mountains. And it was actually at a latitude very comparable to that of Venice. Yeah, a Very so nice. comfortable, fertile region. Freaking nice. Good for growing grapes. Yeah. <laughs> very good for growing grapes. So at its height, the realm of Gondor extended from the, the River Limlight to the south eaves of Mirkwood to the western shores of the inland Sea of Rune, north of Ered Lithui, to the River Harnan and the coastland around Umbar. Yeah, and that's a really huge area. Yeah, that's nuts. It's, that, even, it's way bigger than the Northern Kingdom, isn't it? I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, at its peak, it is absolutely massive. We'll throw up we'll throw up some maps so you can see exactly how big it was. Now, within Gondor, it was uh, divided between several nearly autonomous regions. We had uh, Athelion, which was across Anduin from Minas Tirith. It was kind of on the eastern borders. And Norian, which was the area surrounding Minas Tirith. Which is, yeah, where uh, Pelinar Fields and all that. Right, right. Most of what we see in the movie of Gondor is Anorian. Yeah. Anorian. Anorian. We don't see see a lot of the kingdom. We don't see a lot of the kingdom. No, most of it we don't see. It's pretty much Athelion and and Anorian. Which is a really small chunk. Yeah, tiny chunk. So there was also the region known as La Sarnac, uh, the region Lebanon, Belfalas, Dor and Ernil, which was ruled by the Prince of Dol Amroth. Yeah. Lamadon, that was uh, up north. There was also Ringlo, the excuse me, the Ringlo Vale, Anfalas, and Ethir Anduin. Now, like like we mentioned earlier, there's a lot of information about Gondor out there. There's a lot of information about the history of Gondor. I don't know. Tolkien really went to town on, on Gondor. Gondor. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically, the geography of southern Gondor. Mm-hmm. He calculated and developed with extreme precision the uh, geography of southern Gondor just so that it would be consistent with the narrative of the story of Aragorn's march to the great port of uh, Pel- Pelargir. Pelagir. I'm going to struggle with that one. Yeah, it's a weird set of sounds. Yeah, I mean, he calculated, Tolkien calculated exact locations of cities, exact distances between cities. It was literally like a real place. He yeah. mapped out this this fictional land completely. Yeah, and for the most part, the Lord of the Rings, like, you can, like, if you're really nerdy, you can look at the dates of when things happened and literally be like, they walked 40 miles this day. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. You, you can tell, like, how much, how, how far they've moved in, in certain time periods. He was all about those details. Now, another little fun feature about the geography of Gondor are the warning beacons of Gondor. Oh, yeah, these are cool. And I like them in the movies. It's a cool part. So the warning beacons were built by the uh, stewards of Gondor to serve as an alarm system. For the realm, there were uh, seven great fireplaces situated on top of several hills and mountains on both sides of the White Mountains. It linked the latter capital, known as Minas Tirith, with Rohan to the north, thus enabling either to quickly alert the other if there was a problem. Yeah, light up those beacons, and then the guy. So yeah, so essentially how it works is you know you see the one beacon light and you light yours, and then yeah, it just goes down the line. Goes down the line. Yeah, they were permanently manned by men and messengers who would ride from either Belfalas or Rohan with word of the beacons being lit. It's they had <laughs> a pretty accurate little warning system. Yeah, it's funny. Um, when I saw the movies, and I was thinking of. Like, when I saw those beacons, like, how remote they were, that's all I thought of was, like, damn, those people live there, huh? That must suck. That must suck. Like, it's in the middle of nowhere. I imagine that would be kind of like being sent to the wall. Yeah, just, yeah, exactly. Uh, you could go to jail, or we could just have you we, man the beacons for an indefinite amount of time. You gotta go sit up with those beacons. That would really suck. Yeah, it would. So, from east to west, they actually had names, each beacon. Uh, the names were Amondine, Elenac. Nardal, Erelas, Min Rimon, Kalanhad, and Halifirian. 
That's something I did not know previous to doing this episode. Yeah. I didn't even I realize knew Beacons Amund- had names. I knew Amundine, though, that's the one right above Minas Tirith, because there's a par- part in the movie when they go, you can hear like a background actor, the Beacons are lit! The Beacons of Amundine is lit! <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then you see Denethor run out and he's all pissed off like, <laughs> yeah, Arr. yeah, yeah. Yeah, in real life, Denethor was actually the one that lit those beacons. It wasn't Pepin. Right. Yeah, in the little book, di- they... Little disclaimer. Yeah, they're pulling up as the beacons are being lit. Yeah, as Gondor and Pepin... Or Gondor. As Gandalf and Pepin were riding into Gondor, they noticed the beacons were already being lit. So the whole, like, Pepin lighting the beacons? Inaccurate. Inaccurate. It was totally Denethor. And uh, there's actually real-world uh, parallels to having these beacon systems, and one of them was in the Byzantine Empire. And uh, apparently, like, the northern isles of Scotland and Orkney, that place. I'm, mm-hmm. We got listeners up there, I'm sure. Thanks for listening. It's a really remote place. So um, they had beacons, apparently. Going from Orkney to Shetland. Yeah, where the Shetland, where the ponies are from. Little ponies. Oh my God. Yeah, that's how we know of, of Shetland. Everyone else is like, yeah, there's people that live up there. We're like, that's where the little ponies that's come where from. Where the little ponies and the people that actually live there are like, uh huh, <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, those are actually so the those beacons from the Byzantine Empire in northern Scotland. They're actually to warn against Viking invasions, which was pretty cool. Yeah. And a lot of people think that's where Tolkien got his inspiration for those beacons. Mm-hmm. Just getting into the history now. Yeah. Now let's get into some of the history, and let me tell you, there is too much history. Too much. Gondor. So we're gonna we're gonna give you a brief overview. Yeah, we did what we could to kind of uh, I don't want to say abridge it, but summarize it into the pertinent information. Mm-hmm. So let's start off with that butthole that everyone knows, Sauron. Right. So, so he yeah he survives the destruction of Numenor and secretly returns to the realm of Mordor. Right. And remember, this is the first time he's been back to Middle Earth since he was taken to Numenor. Yeah, as prisoner, quote unquote. Yeah, in uh, 3428, Sauron launched war against the Numenorean kingdoms, hoping to destroy them before they could establish themselves. Right, yeah. So after he made it back to Mordor, he realized, well, he saw that they were setting, trying to set up kingdoms, Arnor Gondor, and he was not down with that, just as much as he was not down with the Dúnedain before the fall of Numenor. He still hates them. And Sauron actually captured Minas Ithil, which is the, the easternmost city. And uh, drove out a Sildor, and he fled to Arnor by ship. So he went to Dad's house, essentially. Yeah, he dipped out. We picked like, Daddy's oh, house. No. Oh no! Oh, Dad, Sauron's back. But Anarion, as cool as he was, he was able to uh, defend Asgilia. So he he defended the old capital. Right. So Minas Minas Ithil was uh, the easternmost. The Tower fort. of the Moon. Yeah. yeah, it was literally right on, on the border of of Mordor yeah. in those mountains. And you guys are, if you've read the books the or um, or seen the movies, you're actually pretty familiar with this city or what it becomes. Yeah, we'll, oh, oh, we'll get into it. We'll do some name dropping. <laughs> yeah, so Osgiliath, it was just west of there, so that was the next attack point for Sauron. But luckily, they were able to defend that, so that's pretty cool. So we're going to talk about something we also talked about in the last episode because it has to do with both kingdoms. Yeah. But we're going to... We're going to give you almost the exact same amount of information we gave you last time. Yeah, so we're talking about the Last Alliance here. Yes. Because the Last Alliance Alliance affected both kingdoms at the same time Mm -hmm. heavily. And we're actually thinking about doing a whole episode on it because there's a lot of of cool stuff that that happens in this whole... It's it's years long and uh, there's a lot. Right, it's a hell of an endeavor. But in general, uh, what is the Last Alliance? So in the Second Age, 3,430... Elendil, the High King of the Dúnedain, and Gilgalad, the High King of the Noldor, formed the Last Alliance of Elves and Men. I just thought that was really cool because they're both High Kings. It's yeah, not. Yeah. It's not often. It's not often that we get. Yeah, two, two High, high Kings. kings. Yeah. Not just kings, but High Kings mm-hmm. banding up together to to fight against evil. Elendil's forces met Gilgalad's forces at the Watchtower of Amonsul, as we may know later becomes Weathertop. Weathertop. Yeah. Once it's all ruined and shit. Right. <laughs> After they met up there, they agreed to move together down over to Rivendell, where they were going to kind of prep themselves for battle for a long time. Now, after they were in Rivendell, uh, the hosts of Gilgalad and Elendil, uh, they traveled down the River Anduin, and they joined the host of elves from Lorien, led by Amdir, and another host of elves from Greenwood, led by Orifer. Yeah, and that's uh, Thranduil's father... Orifer. Yes, Orifer, yeah. So we've got a hell of a lot of people together. We've got the hosts of Gilgalad, which also, disclaimer, includes the hosts of Círdan. Right, which is like, yeah. 
What more do you need? It's it's all the elves of Lindon. It's it's crazy. And then you've got Elendil's folks, and then I'm pretty sure they met up with some of Elrond's folks when they were in Rivendell. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. And then they traveled down and they hit up Lorien and got more elves, and then they hit up the Greenwood and got even more elves, and then they went further down the Anduin and they finally met up with Anarian's forces and an entire host of Dúnedain from Gondor. So they've got a hell of an army put together at this point. And from here on, there's a lot of stuff that happens. Years and years and years of conflict. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. We're not going to talk about it, guys, but we're going <laughs> to tell you what happened as a result of it. Yeah. So The results of the last alliance. The ultimately. results, yeah. So the hosts of Orifer and Amdir are totally slaughtered. They're the ones that we see in the Dead Marshes. Oh, that's them. That's them. Yeah. So they were elves from Lorien and uh, from Mirkwood. Yeah. And yeah, the whole thing, uh, briefly, was that uh, they refused to follow orders from... Uh, from, from Gilgalad, yeah. Mm. So they were resenting. This is the whole see back to the Sundering of the Elves episode to understand. Episode six, it'll tell you all about it. They, they resented the rule of the Noldor. Because so, they were Sindarin. So they charged forward and were completely destroyed. Um, yeah, so at that point, Thranduil becomes the king of the Greenwood. And Amroth becomes king in Lorien. So we've also got Anarion who was killed. And Anarion was actually killed by a rock that was shot from Barad-dûr on a catapult during their seven-year-long siege in Mordor. Yeah. Well, rough way to go. I always imagine that scene from The Return of the King. With the big ugly orc. Yeah, with the big ugly orc <laughs> that's about to get crushed. Yeah. He just, <laughs> he just like steps aside. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I just imagine Anarian just seeing it and not stepping aside. Yeah, just like, exactly. Oh, same scene. Yeah. Same scene, except it's just, oh, shit. <laughs> Boom. Uh, yeah, Gilgalad is actually killed, too, which is big, big, big. So his, and he was one of the keepers of the Great Rings. So his ring is entrusted to Elrond, his herald. Um, the high kingship of the Noldor in Middle-earth is ended. There is never another high king. Which, yeah, we mentioned last time, that's a huge deal, because there have been high kings of the Noldor all the way back to, what, before the First Age? Oh, yeah. Age so of the Trees. Years of the Trees, yeah. yeah. Um, the titles of King of Lindon, the High King of all the Elves in Middle-earth, the High King of the Noldor in Middle-earth, are never again claimed by anyone. And that's because nobody has the authority to claim them. Yeah. The High Kings of the Noldor are officially done. The line has ended. Yeah, like we had mentioned, uh, going from First Age to Third Age, Third Age becomes the Age of Men. And during this stuff in the Second Age, this is where the transition happens. So here we have the High Kings of the Elves dying out. So we also had uh, Sauron was ultimately overthrown in the Last Alliance, some good news. Uh, his main host was utterly defeated. Uh, Barad-dûr was thrown down. Unfortunately, they left the foundations of Barad-dûr, which were rebuilt on later. But Sauron's physical form was destroyed for the time being, and his spirit fled. And little did anyone know, his spirit was the one that fled over into Dol Guldur and southern Greenwood. And this is when Greenwood became Mirkwood. Yeah, what a prick. <laughs> yeah, Sauron's a real prick. He's, yeah, he's the one that turned Greenwood into Mirkwood. He's a dick. Uh, Elendil is also killed. Elendil is one of my favorite guys. So the high kingship of the Dúnedain passes to Isildur, and his sword, which uh, was a heirloom of his family um, from the first age made by Telkar, Narsil, of course, is broken. Broken from fighting so damn hard. In the movie, they made it look like Sauron like stepped on his sword and it snapped yeah. or something stupid. Apparently it broke. So like I was just reading, it broke like when he fell. So like he fell on the blade, apparently. And it broke and, under him. And it broke under him, yeah. Hmm. So Sauron didn't break it. It was, I think it, and like reading a little bit more, I think it was kind of like um, Gurthang. Like it kind of gave up. Because it, you know, gotcha. had died, so gotcha. I see. So at that point, uh, Isildur uses the hilt shards of Narsil to cut the ring from Sauron's hand. Cuts off all his fingers. No, he doesn't, Joel. That's in the movie. Remember? Oh, that's, that's right. That's in the movie. I'm so tired of this. <laughs> he cuts off one finger, the finger that has the ring on it. Doesn't cut them all off like in the movie, because it's deeply symbolic that he had to lose his finger to get the ring to come off. And Frodo also, who claimed the ring for himself in Mount Doom, also needed to have his finger cut off to get the ring taken away. It's deeply symbolic. One finger was cut off. So now, now that we've established <laughs> how many fingers Sauron lost. <laughs> so the, the fall of Sauron in that moment brings an end to the Second Age. And after that is when we get into a Golden Age of Gondor. 
This is the best time that Gondor has had until the uh, reunited kingdom in the Fourth Age with King Elisar. So during this Golden Age, after Sauron's defeat, Gondor officially put watch over Mordor to make sure nothing and no one was able to creep back in and, and start, you know, spewing out evil again. Yeah, and they actually built those those towers. Like, uh, so the Black Gate was built by Sauron, but the towers on either side were built by the Numenorians to watch over. The comings and goings of Mordor. Yeah, they wanted to make sure no one was getting in and out. Um, so during the first millennial of the first of the Third Age, Gondor was victorious in pretty much all war, and its wealth and power just grew. In the Third Age, year four hundred ninety, that was the first of many invasions that Gondor experienced. They were invaded by the Easterlings. Yeah, always Easterlings. They suck. Yeah, the war with them lasted into the following century, and actually from it, Gondor conquered even more territory. They conquered a lot of the territory of Rune, so it expanded the kingdom. Uh, under the rule of the four ship kings, Gondor established a powerful navy and extended along the coast from the mouths of Anduin. Yeah, in Third Age 933, Gondor captured the southern port city of Umbar, which we talked about uh being that black Numenorean colony. Yeah, the former colony of the uh, Kingsmen. And yeah, it was taken uh, later by Haradrim. And then in, in SA 1050, it was reconquered by Gondor under King Hiramendisil. Is that how you say it? I think so, yeah. Hiramendisil. That does sound like an antidepressant. Yeah, it does. <laughs> that does sound like an antidepressant. Yeah, Umbar was one of those places that was always on and off, being captured by different people at different yeah. times. Gondor was always hoping to have it part of their kingdom, and then it was always getting assailed by other people. That goes on for, for a while. Um, so Gondor actually reached its peak during the reign of... Hiramendisil. Hiramendisil, the first. And that was from the Third Age, 1015 through 1149, so about 134 years. Uh, Gondor controlled a vast territory and holding over neighboring nations. So they had a lot of influence outside of their territory. They had influence on areas such as the Haradrim and the northern men of the Vales of Anduin. Yeah, and they're, they're, at this point, I believe they're putting people under tributary, too. Like, yep. like yep. you get to keep your region, but you got to pay us some money. Got to recognize our power. Yeah. And under Hiramindasil's Hiram successor, Atanatar II, the Glorious... The kingdom enjoyed such wealth and splendor that men said precious stones were pebbles in Gondor for children to play with. Yeah, this is, like we said, the absolute height of Gondor. And this whole time, Mordor is completely desolate and empty and totally guarded. So yeah, that was fun. So Gondor's at its height now. God, yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed it. <laughs> the brief the brief height of Gondor. Now we're going to get into the real series of shitty things that happened to Gondor. Yeah, this is the real history here. Yeah, so under that same king, Atanatar II, or Atanatar the Glorious, that is also when Gondor began to decline under his reign and the reign of his two sons, Narmasil and Kalmasil. So Anatar II and his sons, they ruled for, for a while from the year 1149 to 1304. It was a while. It was a while. Not terribly long. But their, their deal was they just lived in ease and luxury, doing really little to maintain Gondor's strength. And uh, the first casualty of that laziness was the watch on Mordor was pretty much neglected. So these are the Jagoff kings. Yeah, they, they reached they're their height and they're just like, mm, let's just enjoy this mm, and not really worry about anything. I want to sit and eat grapes instead. Because mm, grapes apparently are a big thing. Yeah. I'm sure they grew a lot of grapes and gum. Yeah, they drink wine all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, during the reign of King Romendasil II, so this is from the year 1300 to about 1366, relations with the northern men of Rovanion were strengthened, and the king sent his son, Valakar, up to their lands as sort of, sort of an ambassador for the north. Now, while up there, uh, his son, Valakar, married one of the northern women, Vidumavi, uh, she was the daughter of the northern lords, and after some years, they returned to Gondor because he had to rule as king. And this marriage was uh, it was bad, bad for Gondor. Right. When they affirmed that their heir to the throne would be Valakar's son, Eldakar, who was of mixed blood, southern provinces of the realm began to rebel. So essentially, they're being a little racist. Yeah, they're really about bloodlines. Yeah. And I think that carried over from 
just the culture of Numenor. Yeah, blood is in Tolkien in general. Bloodlines are important. They yeah, they put uh, you know, too much stake in it sometimes. I think. <laughs> Right, yeah, I mean, definitely too much. I mean, they were so upset about this mixed-blood prince becoming king that it started something that is known as the kinstrife. The kinstrife. It was kind of the spark for the kinstrife. And that was... Ugh, the kinstrife is a mess. It's a it's a mess. So after Valakar died, several members of the House of Anarion came forward to claim the crown, and it started a full-scale civil war, and that broke out in 1432 of the Third Age. Yeah, and that... That war of the Kinstrife lasted like 15 years. Uh, the rebel in that war with the largest following was Castamir. Castamir. Castamir the Usurper, captain of ships. He actually went out of his way to attack and capture us, Gilead, by way of the river. That was the uh, current capital at the time. So he was basically just trying to force his claim on the throne by taking the capital. Uh, Eldakar, who was in the capital, managed to escape, but... His son was captured and executed. Brick. His mixed blood son. So that was really sad. So Castamir more or less forced himself onto being king, although he quickly proved that he was a very poor ruler and he earned the hatred of the inner provinces pretty quickly. People who really didn't like him. He was quite a dick. Meanwhile, back in Rovanian, Eldakar acquired a great following and after several years returned to, the, to his Northmen allies and slew Castamir and defeated his army. Castamir's sons retreated to Umbar and declared their own independence. And this is where we get, like, one of the first official settlements in Umbar that are um, Host- not yeah, ho- yeah, hostile. Hostile, hostile to Gondor. So a century later, the kings of Harad invaded southern Gondor, but were defeated by Hyrmendasil II after about a decade of war. And then in the year 1634, the descendants of Castamir down in Umbar, they organized a devastating raid on the haven of Pelagir, killing the king at that time, King Minardil. Minardil. Save big money at Minardil. Minardil. <laughs> <laughs> Does everyone who's listening have Menards? Let us know if you have Menards. Mar- Menards is a hardware store <laughs> it's a, it's with, a, with a real catchy tune. Yeah. Save big money at Menards. It's been that way since 1980. Yeah, it's been that way Our forever. whole lives, yeah. As a child, I remember that commercial. <laughs> King Menards, King Menardil. <laughs> he was just visiting Pelagir. Yeah, he was trying just... to save some money at Menards, and, and then Pel- <laughs> he got killed. Pretty sad. Yeah, and it's like uh, Pelagir is like this uh, coastal, uh, you know, port city. It was probably like a vacation. It's a spring break spot for yeah, Gondor, I'm sure. Southern Gondor. It's the sunny part of Gondor. Yeah, I love how in the Return of the King they say like when the Knights of Dole Amroth come, they're all tan and shit. Right. <laughs> They're like, oh, dang, these people are getting sun down there. Yeah, if I could live anywhere in Gondor, it would probably be the southern regions. Yeah, Dol Amroth. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that'd yeah, be yeah. nice. Yeah. So another big cause of the decline of Gondor is something known as the Great Plague. Yeah, we talked about this in the Arnor episode a little bit, actually, too, because mm-hmm. that affects uh, the Northern Kingdom as well. Yeah, it really affects all of Middle-earth. It's a, it's a really awful time for everyone. Yeah, it really sucks. I mean, and I heard... <clears throat> I've heard uh, anywhere up to over half the population getting killed in this. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I've read some weird numbers. Like they were like they were bad. It was bad. Like, I knew it was a lot. I had yeah. no idea it was like, half. Like half black is... plague numbers. Like gotcha. Yeah, it was bad. So the Great Plague. It came around in the year 1636 of the Third Age, and it was basically a plague that came out of Mordor, completely ravaged Middle Earth. Now, whether or not that plague was like caused by some device of Sauron, don't really know. Who, who knows? Not really sure. Maybe but some orc took a dump and forgot to wash his hands, and now... And that started it. And that's the great plague. That could have been. <laughs> who knows? But either way, Mordor is a shitty place, and this plague came out of it and just decimated Middle-earth for quite some time. Um, many noble lines of the Numenorians had already been destroyed in the Kinstrife, and this plague just decimated the populations of especially Osgiliath and Minas Ithil because they were so close to Mordor. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, the plague left Gondor's enemies in no better condition. It really affected everyone. And so for that time, Gondor was allowed for just over a century, they were allowed some relief from yeah. invaders and attacks. Alas, we have peace. We have peace <laughs> because everyone's <laughs> sick and dying. Nobody can attack People's right now. People's too, too sick to fight. <laughs> In the year 1640, that's when the capital of Gondor was officially moved from Osgiliath to the less affected city of Minas Anor. 
and the watch on Mordor was officially abandoned completely. And that is what enabled evil creatures to finally start crawling back into Mordor and the return of evil to happen. In the year 1810, Third Age, King Telumitar uh, defeated the Corsairs of Umbar and retook the Haven, finally ending the wars, the, or finally ending the line of Castamir the Usurper. Yeah, because those guys were around for a while causing trouble. So they're finally gone. And now, the third really shitty thing that happens. Right. There were three major, they, they say that there were about three major things that accounted for the decline of the northern and southern kingdoms. Uh, the third one being this. The Wayne Riders. The Wayne Riders were a confederation, confederation of Easterling tribes who were united by their hate of Gondor and fueled by Sauron. They rode with great wagons and chariots, which gave them their name, Wayne Riders. Go figure. So in 1851 of the Third Age, they began raiding and enslaving the northern men of Rovanion. Uh, so about five years later, they attacked Gondor in full force, killing King Narmasil II. Gondor gradually lost all all of its possessions east of the Anduin. I mean, yeah, these Wayne Riders were a real big deal with their chariots and whatnot. They were really able to cover ground and really cause problems. Um, eventually, after about half of a century, the Wayne Riders were defeated by King Kalimetar. Yeah, I'd say Kalimetar, yeah. All the king's names are just mouthfuls. <laughs> but that was only temporary, because in the year 1944, war broke out anew. When the, rain, when the Wayne Riders joined together with the forces of the Haradrim and attacked, respectively, from the east and from the south. I mean, these guys just can't get a break, man. No, never. No. It's, it's just never ending. Actually, when I was reading this part of the outline yesterday, I laughed. Because I was just like, what? Was, they teamed up with the Haradrim now? Like, <laughs> it's just one thing after another with these friggin' invaders. The northern army of Gondor was totally defeated by this team-up. And uh, the current king of Gondor, Andohir, and both of his sons were killed. A lot of royalty just getting killed in all these invasions. Now, the survivors of the northern army joined the southern army of Gondor, led by Ernil, and together they were able to finally push off the Wayne Riders and destroy them in the Battle of Camp. And that was, uh, if I'm not wrong, too, that's the battle where the Aothaid helped, right? Right, that's right. Uh, now, at this point, this is also when the North Kingdom of Arnor started having their major struggle with Angmar and the Witch King. Yeah, which we talked about in the last episode. Mm -hmm. uh, so during his reign, King Arnil, who we just mentioned, uh, sent Gondor's forces up north to help them deal with this. And Gondor's forces were led by the king's son, Prince Ernur. Yeah, and he, he came up to aid Arthedain. Yeah, we talked about this in the last episode. Yes. And uh, <clears throat> he arrived too late. The northern kingdom had already been wiped out by the time he got there. And he was mad. Yeah. He was very pissed. And when we say the northern kingdom had already been wiped out, we mean it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the northern kingdom, by the time he got there, was destroyed. Yeah, nothing left. He had. They sailed up the coast, right? That's how he got there? Mm -hmm, yeah. yeah. So by the time he arrived, it was it was too late, and he was just, I mean, beyond words. They went to go help their, their neighboring sister kingdom, and the kingdom's already gone. Right. Um, so at that point, Aenor joined the elves of Lindon and the remnant of the northern Dúnedain that were still there and marched against the Witch King. Uh, they forced the army of Angmar to retreat, and at that point, the forces of Aenor, the elves of Lindon, and the remnant of the northern Dúnedain were met by reinforcements from Rivendell, and then they were finally able to utterly defeat Angmar once and for all. But the Witch King got away. Slimy little shit. Slimy little shit, he got away. And uh, Erenur actually intended to chase after him, but he was, uh, he was stayed by, um, by our good friend Glorfindel. And yeah. that's the one Glorfindel made his uh, his little prophecy. Yeah, not his prophecy the, about the Witch King. Yeah, not by the hand of man shall he fall. Yeah, Aranur really hated the Witch King at this point. He really just, he had a real personal thing with the Witch King. He yeah. wanted to, he really wanted to kill him. They have beef, that's for sure. So do so does the Witch King and Glorfindel. They they did a lot of, yeah, yeah. they know each other. They know each other, yeah. Yeah, they did a lot of fighting with each other. Now, shortly afterwards, the Ringwraiths laid a two-year siege on Minas Ithil. If you'll remember, that was the... Uh, the eastern fort in Gondor, the one that was right on the borders of Mordor in those mountains. And uh, in the year 2002, they finally captured it and took it as their own home. And that is when Minas Ithil 
the Tower of the Moon was officially renamed Minas Morgul, the Tower of Sorcery. What? So yeah, it turns out this whole time, guys, Minas Ithil was what? Minas Be- Morgul. Becomes Minas Morgul. Yeah, yeah, Minas Morgul was a Gondorian outpost. Yeah, it was a, it was a fucking city, man. You know, right. There was a lot of people there. It was beautiful. Tower of the Moon, man. And now it's the Tower of Sorcery. And at that point, that's when also Minas Anor, the Tower of the Sun, was renamed Minas Tirith, the Tower of Guard. Because now it was the guard yeah. against Mortor. Now, after Aenor became king... I like this part. The witch, <laughs> Yeah. So after Aenor became king, he was the prince that went north to try to save the Northern Kingdom, but it was already gone. After he became king, the Witch King twice sent messengers to Gondor, insulting him and tempting him to a one-on-one duel. The Witch King says, your mom is so fat. (laughs) 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 Your mom is so fat, and you know what? If you don't think so, why don't you come down to Minas Morgul and prove it, man? One-on-one, mano-a-mano. And he turned down the offer the first time, but at the second time, he was just... Way too furious. And he actually took the offer, and in the year 2050, he rode over to Minas Morgul with a small company of knights, and none of them were ever heard from again. Never, never. Never, ever. Nothing came of it. And what <clears throat> what really sucks about the whole thing is Aranur was childless. Yeah. And so he's the last of the line of Anarian. Um, yeah, so he, except for technically Aragorn, which we'll get to in our next we'll, Yeah, episode. we'll get to that. There's a, a little, special connection there. Yeah. But yeah, Aenor, he was the last of the childless kings, because uh, if you remember from the opening excerpt, that was a problem. Kings stopped having kids. Yeah. And he was the last of the kings to not have kids, because that's where the kings ended. Line of kings ended there with him. This is so. This area, this part of history, is what was known as the Watchful Peace, when the stewards took over, mm-hmm. and there was no kings anymore, and they just kind of like we're going to keep Mordor at bay, and just we're going to watch them. Right, because there was a point in time where they knew that there was evil there, but nothing was really happening. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a like they said, it was called the Watchful Peace. And in Third Age twenty four seventy five, the peace was broken when a large attack of Urukai came from the eastern borders. <clears throat> this led to the mass migration of Ithilien's inhabitants and the final desolation of Osgiliath. Yeah, because Osgiliath is one of those places that had been on and off getting attacked all yeah. the time. And by the time we see it in like the Lord of the Rings, it's uh, ruins, essentially. It's not a city. Right. So at this point, this is also, from here on out, there was never full peace again no. in Gondor. Constant war. Yeah, its borders were under constant threat, whether it was from Urukai or orcs or Easterlings or marauders from the south. I mean, Gondor was just a mess from here on out. Not that it wasn't already, but... So in the Third Age, 2510, an Easterling tribe named Balkoth invaded the northern parts of the realm and forced back Gondor's armies. Now, the northern men of Rovanion, who were now called the Eotheod, they rode to the aid of Gondor, and they completely turned the tides of the battle, and that's the Battle of the Field of Celebrant. And thanks to their help, they were able to defeat the Easterlings. Yay! And like we mentioned earlier, this is when we had this special moment, where out of gratitude, the current steward of Gondor, named Kyrion, gave to the northern men the depopulated province of Kelenardon. That's the, the northern realm that later became Rohan. Yeah, and Aeol the Young was their leader, and he was the first king of Rohan. And this is, yeah, this is how they got Rohan. It was originally Gondor, and then it was gifted to them for their help. And if you want to hear this story, it's actually in the um, Unfinished Tales. There's Kyrian and uh, Aeol. Yeah, they get into detail about about the battle and everything that happens there. So a permanent alliance was then created between Gondor and Rohan, and that alliance lasted until the end of uh, Tolkien's writing. The Legendarium, yeah. In the years to come, Gondor had uh, had to contend with constant invasions of orcs, Haradrim, and Athelion, and Corsairs in Umbar, raiding the southern coast. And uh, Rohan was constantly assailed by the Dunlendings and also Easterlings. Yeah, so now both kingdoms were just constantly getting invaded. Constantly at war. And yeah, the only aid that came to either of those kingdoms during these invasions was the other. Yeah, exactly. It, because uh, Like, who's worse off right now? Let's go help them. <laughs> right, because Arnor's gone at this point. Arnor has already fallen. Yep. So it's just Gondor and this new kingdom of Rohan, their friends up north. And so they're 
just helping each other when they can. Uh, during this time, this is when the uh, region of Athelion was completely evacuated due to all these increased orc attacks. Um, but when they evacuated it, they made some hidden refuges for the rangers of Athelion. Yeah, one of which is that sweet place, uh, what's it called, like Rathdinan or whatever? Rath- Rathdinan? Yeah, and uh, that's where Faramir takes... Uh, is that the one behind the waterfall? Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Door, of the, door of the night or whatever. Door of the morning, something like that they call it. I can't remember. But that's a really cool place, yeah. Behind. Yeah, that's, that's one of those little ranger outposts that they built for Faramir and the other rangers of Athelion. Little fun fact. So in the year 2954, this is when Sauron officially declares himself in Mordor, and Mount Doom bursts into flame again. And before the end of the millennium, the forces of Gondor, led by Aragorn under an alias name, they went south and attacked Umbar and destroyed the Corsair fleet that was down there, which allowed the current steward of Gondor, Denethor II, to devote all of his attention to this new threat posed by Mordor. And that takes us right up into, I don't want to call it the modern age of Mordor, or of Gondor, but the part of the age of Gondor that... that everybody knows. That everybody knows, yeah, yeah, the third age. We've got Denethor as the steward now, you know, Bormir and Faramir are around doing stuff, and uh, Gondor is, or Mordor is officially working again. They're back in full force. Sauron's back. And this brings us right into... The War of the Ring. <laughs> now, since obviously the stuff that happens in the War of the Ring and the Lord of the Rings, most people almost pretty, common knowledge. At this yeah, point. it's almost common knowledge at this point. So we're gonna run through the facts, and we're not gonna get too deep into detail because we're not here to retell the story of the Lord of the Rings. Right. Yeah. That's a different podcast. I'm That's sure. a different podcast. <laughs> so by the year 3000, the Third Age, uh, Sauron had prepared for his final conquest of Middle-earth. And in uh, 3018, he once again attacked Osgiliath. Yeah, 3018 is also the year that the uh, Fellowship began. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, 3018 to 3019. Yeah, that's the beginning of the story of the Lord of the Rings as we know it. Yeah. And now in the next year, 3019, Minas Tirith faced the main assault of Mordor. Combined with an invasion from the Corsairs of Umbar. This is what we know to be the Battle of Pelennor Fields. Uh, now, in this instance, Aragorn summoned the dead men of Dunhoro yeah. to destroy the forces of Umbar that were coming up the river. And that freed the men of the south in the southern regions of Gondor to actually come to the aid of Minas Tirith in this fight. And then finally, with the further aid of the Rohirrim, Gondor was able to just barely defeat the army of Mordor in that Battle of Pelennor Fields. And when we say barely, I mean, as I'm sure most of you know, it was bad. Skin of their teeth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it was rough. They they won in the sense that Mordor didn't take over Minas Tirith. Right, yeah. But Minas Tirith was just... Destroyed. Just totally fucked. Yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a mess. So after that, you've got the combined armies of the West... That then carried the battle straight to Sauron's front door in the Battle of Moranon. So this was when uh, they famously charge into Mordor to <laughs> to uh, distract Sauron to give uh, enough time for Frodo and Sam to destroy the ring. Right, attacking against all odds, essentially, because there was no way they were going to win this battle. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was all it was was a distraction so that good old Sam and Frodo could make their way to Mount Doom and destroy the ring, which would ultimately bring around the victory of everyone. Which they ultimately failed at doing. They didn't destroy the ring. Gollum did. I suppose that's a fair <laughs> point. I was really confused for a second there. I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> the, the, ring, the, the mission was only technically accomplished because Frodo claimed the ring for his own. Right, at the last at second. At the last second. Yeah, and he wasn't going to throw it away. Yeah, and there and it had to be taken by force. There wasn't much that Sam could do about it. Cause Losing the same one finger. <laughs> That Sauron lost. That's right. That one singular <laughs> finger. It was his in, was it his index? I don't know. It was. I think it's. It's probably. The, I would imagine that would be the easiest finger to cut off. I know in the movie that they go with the, the index, index yeah. but I'm not sure if that's officially the one. Yeah, it's kind of weird to wear a ring on your index finger. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it changes sizes, so it's. I suppose it'll fit on any finger. But yeah, as we know, the ring does get destroyed. Sauron. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! <laughs> Yeah, the, the ring does get destroyed. Sauron is ultimately overthrown, not destroyed, but, but overthrown. But overthrown permanently. He can no longer take physical form after this. 
He's a fart in the wind, essentially, after this. Right. He literally is just like a cloud of malice over Mordor for a while afterwards, and then he just gets just blown blows away. Blows away. Yeah, just blown away by a, by a western wind. And as he blows away, you can hear, just, just give him back. Oh, just give him back. Just give him back. <laughs> uh, so with the final defeat of Sauron, the kingship was finally restored. With Aragorn crowned as King Elisar of the reunited kingdom of Arnor and Gondor. Hooray! Woo. And Faramir, who's the heir of the stewards, he retained his office as steward, but he's also named Prince of Athelion. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Especially since he spent so much time in Athelion as a ranger. Oh yeah, as a ranger, yeah. Yeah, very appropriate. Uh, the oaths between Gondor and Rohan were renewed, rightfully so. That I mean, shit, Rohan really saved him. And several joint campaigns were fought in the east and south together. Yeah, after the fall of Sauron, the the fighting wasn't quite over yet. They had a few other places they had to go to clean up. Mm-hmm. But Gondor and Rohan did that together. Yeah, yeah. Cleaned house. Yeah. Yeah, all the former territories of Gondor were completely won back uh, during that following century. And its power and wealth were completely restored. Hooray! Huzzah! And the glory of Gondor was once more. Yeah. And it's foretold that Eldarion, the son of Elisar, or Aragorn, would rule a great realm and that his line would endure for a hundred generations and rule many realms long after. Yeah, and that's that's mainly the canon, all of the canon that we have about the history of, of Gondor. Right, yeah, that's about where it ends. Uh, Tolkien's perception of further history of the kingdom is illustrated by The New Shadow, which is a story that you can find in... The unfinished tales, right? No, it's in uh, it's in one of the it's in the history of Middle Earth. Oh, it's in the history of Middle Earth. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it might be people and places. I'm not sure. Maybe it is. I'd have to look further into that. But it's basically the the story of the New Shadow. It's an experimental story that Tolkien ultimately abandoned, and it was set during the reign of Eldarion. That's Aragorn's son. And yeah. like we mentioned earlier, the stuff that goes on in the Fourth Age, there is some material there that Tolkien was playing with. But it didn't ultimately get finished and put into canon, so there wasn't. I I didn't want to throw things out there that weren't official. That weren't official. Yeah. yeah. So if anyone's interested in some of that fourth age material, there is some. Yeah, go seek it out. Go seek it out. And yeah, there's there's a few resources for that. But yeah, that's a uh, that's it for Gondor, guys. Yeah, and that's, that's all we've got for Gondor. That's all we got for you. Yeah. Next week we're going to be coming at you with a uh, a character profile again. Of uh, Aragorn. Yeah, we thought this would be a perfect opportunity to lead right into Aragorn's story. And he's got a really cool life story we found. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that we hadn't known. A lot of stuff. I learned a lot. But uh, that'll be next week for you. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and record that in like 20 minutes. But <laughs> you, you guys got to wait. You guys got to wait. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's it for us, guys. Uh, uh, I'm Danny J. And this is Jolyn. And as always, guys... Keep on talking. Keep on talking. Aure in Tuluva.